morning, if you'd open your Bibles up to Genesis chapter 30. If you're not used to looking at a Bible and uh, you're using the Pew Bibles provided, that's on page 28. And we'll also have it up on the screen. Now, we're moving along through the life of Jacob, uh, one of the most interesting and also most terrible people in the Bible. Uh, Jacob is the grandson of Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And so far in what we've seen about Jacob, we have seen someone who is, uh, to say the least, bereft of character. Jacob grows up, and uh, he's the second born. He's always wanted to be the first born. He's always wanted to be in control. And so what he does, he goes to his brother when his brother's been working all day and his brother's hungry, and he says, I'll tell you what, I'll give you a bowl of soup in exchange for your birthright. All your, I want your inheritance... And if I can have your inheritance, then I'll give you a bowl of soup. And Esau, uh, being not the brightest one, says, okay, that's a deal. So Esau sells his birthright for a bowl of porridge, pottage. A little while later, uh, their father's sick and elderly and getting ready to die. Isaac, he's blind. And so he calls Esau to him. He says, Esau, go and prepare some food for me so that I can bless you. I can pass on the family blessing to you. And... Esau goes off, but meanwhile, of course, their mother, uh, Rebekah, has come and eavesdropped on the conversation. So she calls Jacob to her, and she says, Jacob, I want you to go and pretend to be your brother and steal his birthright. You're going to wear the skins of some goats on your hands and you're going to wear your brother's shirt so you smell like him, and you're going to bring food to him that I'm going to cook to trick your father. He tricks the father, uh, and then Esau says, I'm going to kill you. They're on the run. So when we last left Jacob, he's on the run from his brother Esau, who says, I'm going to kill you as soon as dad dies. He has tricked his father, and now he is all alone. He's wandered through the space between Canaan and um, the, well, Canaan and the land where his father had come from. And of course, we saw him come to Bethel where he had seen the ladder to heaven. And after seeing this, he, holy man that he was, says, okay, well, God, if you will bless me and take me safely back home and give me everything that I want, then I'll worship you. So Jacob is Jacob's character is fundamentally summed up in what can benefit me. Jacob is always looking for how he can get ahead. Jacob's always looking for how he can use deception or ingenuity or whatever to get what he wants. Anything except hard work, and Jacob is all for it. You know, maybe some of you know somebody like that who, if they worked half as hard at working as they do at tricking people or trying to get ahead, then they'd be great. Um, the people that go door-to-door selling ionized bracelets or whatever. If they worked half as hard at working as they do at trying to trick somebody into something, they'd be very successful. Jacob is always looking, looking, looking to get ahead. Now, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, the Bible says uh, in Galatians, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, so also shall he reap. 
uh, you know, Jesus said, if you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. Well, we can just as well say, if you live by deception, eventually somebody's going to come along that's a better liar than you are. And so Jacob is today going to, we're going to find him finally getting what he's been given. We're not going to have time to read this whole section. Genesis 29 through Genesis 30 is the text we're going to cover today. And we're going so fast because I covered Genesis 29 just a few months ago. But I'm going to reiterate it again, retell the story, and then we'll actually read our text from Genesis 30. In Genesis 29, Jacob comes home and he sees when he gets to the the town where his... uh, Father, where his grandfather was from, he sees a well and a bunch of people gathered around it. And uh, he, up and he starts talking to them. He says, oh, do you know Laban, my great uncle? And they say, well, yeah, we, we know Laban. And look, his daughter's coming. And his daughter's name is Rachel. It says that when uh, Jacob sees Rachel coming, he pushes the stone off of the top of the well and then runs to her and kisses her. It's actually, and it says he cries out. He gets... He sees this girl, and he has a reaction. Uh, first, he decides he's going to show off. Then he decides he's going to run up to her. Now, Jacob is, you know, love at first sight, falls for Rachel. And he, in verse 11, and lifted up his voice and wept. So some girl. He goes a little further, and he goes back with her to her father's house. And he starts speaking to Laban. Laban is... Uh, Rachel's father and Jacob's uncle. Now, the, the problem we've got here is that we've met Laban before. Laban uh, was a, has been a trickster since he was a little boy. But Laban comes along and Jacob lives with them for a little while and works a little bit. And then Laban says to Jacob, because you're my brother, will you serve me for nothing? Tell me, what will your wages be? And Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Verse 17 is kind of interesting. Leah was tender-eyed, but Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. Leah was tender-eyed. Leah made your eyes sore, but Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. He's got these two daughters. And uh, now one thing is interesting. Uh, Rachel means like little lamb. Leah means cow. And so you can tell they're both well-loved by their father. It says... One of you is going to be cow. One of you is going to be little lamb. One of them is a, the kind of girl that makes Jacob run up to her, kiss her, and cry. And the other one is the kind of girl that just makes him cry. So these, <laughs> they, they've got Leah, the older sister, and Rachel, the younger sister. So he says, Laban says, well, I'll make you a deal, Jacob. If you work for me for seven years, because you don't have anything. So much for that birthright you stole. You don't have anything. So if you'll work for me for seven years, that can be your dowry, and you can marry my daughter. You can marry Rachel. And so Jacob says, that's a great idea. Let's do this. He works for seven years, and it says in verse 20, and they seemed unto him but a few days for the love that he had for her. He works for seven years to marry this girl. Um, You know, Colleen and I dated for seven years uh, because we started dating in high school and everything, I told her it was because I didn't want her to feel like she was any less valuable than Rachel. Never really went for that. But the Rachel and Jacob are supposed to get married. The big day comes, and they have the big party. They put the veil on. Uh, Jacob goes to bed with his new wife. He wakes up the next morning, 
And it, the Bible says, behold, it was Leah. So what happened? Uh, Laban gets Jacob drunk and marries him off to the wrong daughter. Now, I, I, I wish that I had time to really talk about this because I think this is such a powerful story. Uh, I've preached on this at like camps for high schoolers and different things because, uh, and I, I sent out, if you're on our text list, I sent out an article that I wrote about this a couple years ago. But the family dynamics here, you know, I mentioned last week that if anybody tells you that you need to have a biblical family, you, need, you know they haven't really read a lot of the Bible. You don't want, don't want a biblical family. You don't want this. Um, I, I just imagine, when I read this story every time, I think, poor Leah. Can you imagine your father telling you, well, look, honey, the only way we're going to get a face like that married is if we trick somebody. So this is your one chance. Can you imagine the kind of dysfunction that's got? Um, now, so Laban tricks Jacob into marrying the wrong girl. Now, Jacob, of course, wakes up, and as far as the Bible says, he doesn't say a word to Leah. It says, behold, it was Leah, and he went unto Laban. He goes to his new father-in-law and says, what have you done to me? I agreed to work for you for seven years to marry Rachel. That's not Rachel. And Laban says, well, in our society, you never let the younger daughter get married before the older daughter. He says, but I'll make you a deal. Finish your week with her. They had a week-long honeymoon. Finish your week with Leah. Then you can marry Rachel. And then you can work with me for seven more years for Rachel. He says, you can. Uh, this time, he knows that he's not going to get Jacob to work seven more years and then get married. But he says, look, here's what we'll do. You give Leah a week. And then um, after that week, you can have another wedding. You can marry her sister. And then you can work for me for seven more years in exchange for marrying Rachel. And now some people point at this and say, look, the Bible says that polygamy is okay. There is nothing in these two chapters that is okay. You know, if, that, if that's your takeaway is that God's endorsing polygamy because he works seven years and gets tricked into marrying the wrong sister, you're just, you're not, you're not reading honestly. You know, you're just looking for something to criticize. So, of course, everything in this is wrong. But he does. He says, well, that's a deal. He marries Rachel, and then he, he agrees to work for seven more years. Now, during that seven-year period, they start having kids. Leah, and this is really the saddest part of the story, if you ask me. Um, they come along and... It says in verse 31 of chapter 29, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. He saw that Leah was hated, but he showed, he, he, God loved Leah. And so it says in verse 32, and Leah conceived and bare a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, surely the Lord has looked upon my affliction. Now, therefore, will my husband love me? So, I want you to, I'm going to tell you the story of Leah here quickly. Her father says to her, nobody's going to marry you unless we trick them. But Leah is thinking, you know, if I get married, then my father will love me. You know. Meanwhile, she thinks, once I sleep with Jacob on this honeymoon, you know, on our wedding night when he wakes up and finds it's me, then he's going to love me. The, uh, then that doesn't work. 
So she comes along a little farther and she has a son. And she says, now that I've got this baby, now my husband will love me. Now, you would think this was ridiculous, except if you actually know people. Right? Um, you know, I taught high school for two and a half years. And I can say that there are definitely a lot of teenage girls that think like this, right? Think, well, you know, I need to put myself in this situation because that's what's going to make him love me. And so I say, my dad never loved me, but if I can achieve, then he'll love me. You know, the she, so Leah, in her mind, thinks marriage is going to make her acceptable to her father. She thinks sex is going to make her husband love her. Then she says a baby is going to change everything. A baby's going to change everything. Um... And when people go into marriage, this should be too simple to say, when people go into marriage and they get married thinking it's going to fix something, that's the dumbest idea that I've ever heard in my entire life. You know, if you imagine, if you've got a, you've got your bucket of problems that you carry around, and then somebody else has got their bucket of problems they carry around, and you get married, you know what you have? You've got two buckets. That's all that happened. And then some people think, well, we'll have a baby and that'll fix it. Now you've got three buckets and one of them cries all the time. Maybe two of them cry all the time. I don't know. So you, you've got more problems. And so, but Leah here, because she's never been in a healthy family, thinks, well, if I do this and then I do this and then I do this, then I'm going to earn my husband's love. And, of course, the story gets worse um, as we read on. So of course, first she has her firstborn, and she said, Leah says, so now he's going to love me. And then when we read in the very next verse, she conceived again and bare a son and said, behold, the Lord hath heard that I was hated. He hath therefore given me the second son also. She called his name Simeon. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, now this time will my husband be joined unto me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, she called his name Levi. And, of course, these Hebrew names all have to do with the, what's going on. But, and she conceived. Well, let's not get to that point yet. She has three sons. And each one of her sons, what does she say? Now he's going to love me. Now he's going to love me. Now he's going to love me. Now, we read this in, you know, an eighth of a page. And maybe we miss the scope of it. You know how long it takes to have three kids? We're talking about for years. She goes on. If I can just have another son. If I can just have another son. If I can just have another son. The, uh, she's tried sex, marriage, and kids. And miraculously, none of those things solve any of her problems. And again, you would say, well, duh, unless you actually know people. Because I bet that if I ask you to raise your hands, I'm not going to have you do that, because some of you are going to turn and look. If I asked you to raise your hands about whether or not you knew somebody who tried to solve their problems with sex, marriage, or kids, everybody in here knows somebody who has tried that. And did it work? No, it didn't work. It didn't work for Leah 3,500 years ago. And it sure didn't work for anybody now. But isn't it funny the way that we think? 
You know, if you spell it out, if you had actually said to somebody, so you think that having a baby in here is going to change everything. You think that being married is going to change him or change her. You think that this is suddenly going to make them fall in love with you. If you spell it out logically, people would almost never come out and say that. Right? But they believe it. And it gets into all kinds of problems. <laughs> so Leah is, to me, one of the most tragic characters in the Bible. In verse 35, she conceived again and bore a fourth son. And she said, now I will praise the Lord. She called his name Judah and left bearing. This is interesting. And her fourth son, she says, I'm not going to focus on my husband again. Now I'm going to praise the Lord. She called his name Judah. Judah is the great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus. Kind of interesting. But just in case you think that it's a happy ending after all, Rachel saw she had no children. She envied her sister and said unto Jacob, give me children or else I die. So uh, Rachel is not only a looker, but a little dramatic. She says, give me children, I'm just going to die. I don't want to live anymore without any kids. And Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. And he said, am I in God's stead who have withheld from thee the fruit of the womb? She says, what do you think? It's not my fault. And then uh, she said, behold, my maid Bilhah. Go in unto her, and she shall bear upon my knees, that I may have children by her. The, uh, Rachel says, I've got an idea. Why don't you marry my slave, Bilhah? And she'll have kids, and those will be my kids. Now, Jacob, real thinker here, ought to understand this is not going to be a good idea. You know, um, some of you gentlemen here, married, know that sometimes just because your wife suggests something does not mean you should do it. You know, this is, doesn't mean you're not going to be in trouble in a little bit. So that's fine. Just go ahead. Colleen never says that, but I've heard other people do things like that. Now, Jacob has got a family history. Do you remember Jacob's grandfather, Abraham, when Sarah couldn't have any kids, Sarah came to Abraham and said, hey, why don't you marry my slave, Hagar, and she'll have kids, and those will be my kids, and everything will be fine. You would think, family history-wise, he would remember, hmm, that didn't really work out. Grandma didn't like that. She threw a fit, and uh, they, she, they ran both of them off. But again, when we are in the moment on something, and we know what we want, and it just... Things don't make sense. And, I, and so Jacob says, well, you know, two wives, what's a third? So he, he marries her. And she conceived and bore Jacob a son, named him Dan. Bilhah, Rachel's maid, conceived again, bore Jacob a second son. Rachel said, with great wrestlings, have I wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. She called his name Naphtali. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, when Leah saw that she had left bearing, she took Zilpah, her maid, and gave him to Jacob to wife. She says, well, I haven't had any kids lately. And I want you to understand, this whole thing takes place in a seven-year period, um, and she's already had four kids, right? And she's going to have more later on. So this is not, it's not like, I haven't had kids. It's like, I haven't had kids in like a year. We've got we to pick up the pace. Here, look, I've got a maid too. If you'll marry Rachel's maid, look, my, you'll marry my maid also. 
And Jacob goes along that too, I guess, because Leah's maid is prettier than she is. I don't know. So he comes, and Leah, Zilpah, Leah's maid, bore Jacob a son. Leah said, a troop cometh. She called his name Gad. Said, look, there's going to be a whole army coming out of this one. And Zilpah, Leah's maid, bore Jacob a second son. And Leah said, happy am I, for the daughters will call me blessed. And she called his name Asher. Said, look, now I'm happy because everybody's going to look up to me. Everybody's going to call me blessed because I um, have another son, sort of. So now Jacob, at this point, has got four kids from Leah. He's got uh, two kids from each maid. So at this point, you've got this man with four wives and eight sons. I don't even have a joke about that. I just think that just stands on its own. You just you wrap your mind around that. Now Reuben went in the field in the days of wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field. He's a little boy. He goes out and he finds mandrakes. And he brought them to his mother Leah. Now at those days, they thought mandrakes were an aphrodisiac. They thought mandrakes would help you get pregnant. And so Rachel said to Leah, Give me, I pray thee, thy son's mandrakes. Look, Reuben found these mandrakes outside playing in the dirt. Give those to me. And she said unto her, Is it a small matter that thou hast taken my husband? And would thou take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, Therefore he shall lie with thee tonight for thy son's mandrakes. So, Rachel says, and you're going to find out uh, who's, the, who's in charge of this family. Rachel says, Look, you can sleep with Jacob tonight if you give me the mandrakes. You can buy him tonight in exchange for the mandrakes. Now... <laughs> I just have to read verse 16 to you. And Jacob came out of the field in the evening, and Leah went out to meet him and said, Thou must come in unto me, for surely I have hired thee with my son's mandrakes. And he lay with her that night. Just imagine Leah walking up to Jacob and saying, You have to sleep with me tonight, Rachel said. No. They go along with it. Whatever Rachel says happens. So she slept with him that night. And God hearkened unto Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. And Leah said, God has given me my hire because I have given my maiden to my husband. And she called his name Issachar. says, look, really, God's just taking care of me because I did this good thing of having my husband marry my slave. And it reminds you of the the story where when Jacob fooled his father, when Jacob went to Isaac and said to Isaac, um, you know, here's the food. And Isaac said, how'd you get it so fast? And Jacob said, the Lord your God blessed me. It's one of those things where God says, you leave me out of it. As Christians, we need to realize that not everything that people give credit God for does God want credit for. You know, and that's sometimes you're talking to somebody and they start telling you about things that Christians have done in God's name throughout history. Uh, and I don't have any interest in defending some of the terrible things that people have done that they said God told them to do. 
Even in the Bible, we see that not everything that people blame God for had anything to do with God. But she says, look, I'm going to get this. And Leah conceived again and bore Jacob the sixth son. See, I told you, she's got seven years to have six kids, okay? And she, in the middle, there's a gap where she says, well, we better get my maid in. Sixth son, and I told you there was not a happy ending. And Leah said, God hath endued me with a good dowry. Now will my husband dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. So she went from now we'll praise the Lord to a couple years later, she's gone back to it. And she said, well, six sons, that's got to be enough for any husband. And afterwards, she had a daughter and called her name Dinah. So Leah has got six children. The maids have got two each, ten kids. Leah's got seven, and she's got a daughter also, I'm sorry. Leah's got seven. There's four sons from the maids. And then Rachel has two more. Rachel uh, has Joseph, and later on, she's going to have Benjamin. She doesn't have Benjamin yet. Benjamin will be in a future chapter. So Rachel biologically bears Jacob two sons, Joseph and Benjamin, and she dies in childbirth with Benjamin. She originally names him Ben-Anoi, which means son of my sorrows. So she dies. So Jacob has got four wives, and at this point, because Benjamin hasn't been born yet, 12 kids. If they had had a TV back then, there would have been a reality show, Jacob plus 16. <laughs> it would have been a terrible show. It would have been, you know, if, if there had been a show, Jacob plus 16, just from what we read in the Bible, you couldn't... You, <laughs> It would be rated, uh, I don't know what it would be rated. They wouldn't show it on TV. It would be on cable. So they had, you, I, wouldn't, I would tell you not to watch it if there was a TV show about what was going on with these people. This is a crazy, depraved, debaucherous situation. You've got him and his four wives, two sisters and their maids. And for somebody who thought that uh, Liam made his eyes water, he had seven kids with her. And their maids. And this is it's a huge mess. And there's a couple of principles we can draw from that. But, you know, one, of course, is the, the simplest, most obvious one is that if your idea of marriage and family and different things is that it's a problem solver, then you've got the wrong idea. <laughs> I think that we can all say very clearly this situation is an absolute mess. And so then the question becomes, what can God do with a mess like this? The, um, I had a teacher in seminary who said, God can't bless your mess. Um, and I just don't think they had ever actually read the Bible. Because it's, if God doesn't bless your mess, there won't be anything for him to bless. That's about all you've got is a mess. And here, you've got a man 
And you say, well, he was a big, faithful, godly man. Well, that's not true. One, it's not true because of everything I've just told you about him. Two, up until this point, do you know how many times uh, Jacob has prayed in the Bible? Zero. <laughs> do you know how many times Jacob, you know when Jacob talks about God, do you know what he says? He says, the God of my father, the God of my grandfather. doesn't say my God. Jacob is a godless, impulsive deceiver. And although there is a little poetic justice in the fact that he got fooled by marrying the wrong woman after he fooled his father for blessing the wrong son, they're all worthless. You wouldn't want to hang out with any of these people. But this is the family that God is going to use to save the world. Why? What is that? It gets worse. Let's look and see. Let's look at our main text here. It begins in verse 25. And it came to pass when Jacob had born, when Rachel had born Joseph, that Jacob said unto Laban, send me away that I may go into mine own place and to my country. It's been at least 14 years, uh, probably a little bit longer. We know that when he leaves, he's been there for 20 years total. Uh, but we don't, and we know he worked for 14 years for the wives. It, it seems that he may have worked a little longer uh, waiting to leave until Rachel had had a son. Rachel had her first child. And so he turns and he says to her, he says to his father-in-law, he says, let me go that I can go to my own place and to my country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served thee and let me go. For thou knowest my service, which I have done thee. He says, let me go, let me take my family and leave. And you say, well, does he have to ask permission to leave? Uh, and the answer is no. He's not a slave. He's been an indentured servant. You know, um, the, in the Hebrew Bible, and when, we, when they talk about slaves in the Old Testament, they were almost never slaves for life. Um, in the Hebrew system... If you were a slave, you were automatically released after seven years. You worked for seven years, and then you were free. Uh, and so it was not so much slavery as indentured servitude. Like, they used to have debtors' colonies and things where you would work off your debt. The only, times that were, the only time that people were permanent slaves is if they were prisoners of war. Uh, and then it was still not like slavery in the United States. Uh, you know... In the Old Testament, if a slave ran away, they were automatically freed. You weren't allowed to take them back to their master. Uh, if you hit them and knocked their tooth out, they were automatically freed because their tooth was worth... You know, they, it was a, a completely different system. Actually, the slave system in America that we think of as slavery is unique in all world history. There were slaves throughout world history that were... You know, the United States had the worst, most morally corrupt version of slavery in the world. And the only reason they use the same word, really, is so that they could use the Bible in different things to try to justify what they were doing to people. Um, so slavery was a slavery in the United States is completely different. In fact, here's what happened when you were an Israelite. A court, it was the law that when your slave had finished working his seven years, you were required to give him food and uh, sheep and clothes and money. You're required to load him up with stuff so that he wouldn't end up in poverty and have to put himself into slavery again. You had to give him to him, the Bible says, liberally. 
Okay, to give generously to your slave, your servant, your former indentured servant, so he wouldn't end up having to sell himself back into slavery. So when Jacob comes to his father, and his father-in-law, and says, I've worked for you for 14 years. Can I? Can you send me away? He's asking to be sent away with stuff. He's saying, I worked for you for 14 years, and all I've got are two wives, four wives, and 12 kids. So that's a lot of mouths to feed. Can you send me away with something? So he's asking for a send-off. Now Laban, the master schemer, is definitely not in favor of just uh, giving anything away. You know, so we read in verse 27, Laban said unto him, I pray thee, if I have found favor in thine eyes, tarry. For I have learned by experience that the Lord hath blessed me for thy sake. Kind of interesting. That word translated experience here, I don't know why they did this. That's actually the word divination. He said, I've been doing some magic. You say, what? He's been doing, he's been reading tea leaves or something? If that's the most outrageous thing to you that Laban's doing and Jacob is doing, then you, you're not paying attention. You know, he, Laban is not any more godly than Jacob is. So he says, look, I've been reading the tea leaves, I've been looking at the crystal ball, and I know that the reason that I'm successful now is because the Lord has blessed me for your sake. So stick around. He says, appoint thy wages and I will give it. Whatever you want to be paid, pay. I'll pay as long as you stay. And he said unto him, thou knowest how I have served thee and how thy cattle was with me. For it was little which thou hadst before I came, and it is now increased unto a multitude. And the Lord hath blessed thee since my coming. And now when shall I provide for mine own house? So Jacob says, you didn't need divination to notice that you were a poor old man when I got here, and now you're rich. And I've done all the work. He said, so I don't have anything to provide for my own family. And he said, what shall I give thee? Laban says, okay, what are your wages? Jacob said, thou shalt not give me anything. If that will do this for me, I will again feed and keep thy flock. I will pass through all the flock today, removing from thence all the speckled and spotted cattle and all the brown cattle among the sheep and the spotted and speckled among the goats. And of such shall be my hire. So shall my righteousness answer for me in time to come when it shall come from my hire before thy face. Every one that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and brown among the sheep that will be counted stolen with me. Jacob says, okay, here's what we're going to do. In uh, the Near East, almost all of the sheep are white and almost all the goats are brown. All the, go- all the sheep are solid white. All the goats are solid brown. There's a very small percentage of animals that are, have got some brown on them or some white on them. And that's when it says speckled and spotted and all that. That's, the, that's what it's getting at. It says the ones that are not a solid color. It says, what I'll do is I'll work for you And then I'll take all the ones that are not solid, and that'll be my pay. Ordinarily, a shepherd was paid about 20% of the newborn sheep. They would would get every fifth sheep would be their hire. Um, And of course, this would be a much smaller number than that. So Laban's mind says, that sounds like a great, very fair deal to me. And so... uh, in verse 34, and Laban said, behold, I would, it might be according to thy word. He says, let's do it. And Laban goes 
And he removed that day the he-goats that were ring-striked and spotted and all the she-goats that were speckled and spotted and every one that had some white in it and all the brown among the sheep and gave them into the hands of his sons. And he set three-day journey betwixt himself and Jacob, and Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flocks. So Jacob's pay is supposed to be the ones that are not solid. So Laban says, that sounds like a great idea. I'll take all the ones that aren't solid and I'll put them a three-day walk away. That's about 75 miles. So Jake Laban says to Jacob, you stay here in Richwood. The, my sons and I are going up to the woodlands. So that's 75 miles. And we're going to keep the, our sheep and you keep your sheep and whichever ones have got speckles and spots and all that, you can have. But of course, they weren't dumb. They knew that speckled sheep had speckled babies. And so he takes them all away so there won't be any speckled genes to start with. Now, we know you know, there's dominant genes and recessive genes. You can be a carrier of it without... But Laban didn't know that. So Laban says, I'm going to rig the game, and he's going to go away with three sheep or something. There's some freak mutations. And he'll work for me forever. And so he put a three days journey between them. Now, the Bible says in Psalm 7, they dug a pit and fell into it. One of the things about your sin is that you've sometimes set yourself up for your own consequences. You try to trick somebody else, you try to fool somebody else, and you put yourself in trouble. You remember, we saw this already with Isaac. If Isaac had followed the proper procedure for blessing, he would have called both of his sons to them, he would have been able to see both of them there, and Jacob wouldn't have been able to trick him. But because he said he wanted to sneak Esau in without Jacob knowing about it, because he was also a model father. I'm going to separate. I don't really like Jacob very much. Send Jacob down the road. Esau, you come on into me. Because he did that, he set himself up to be fooled. By Laban trying to say, I'm going to keep all the mixed sheep and goats away from Jacob, he also kept himself away from Jacob, where he doesn't know what's going on. And so if Jacob decides to run, which he will, uh, Laban will be too far away to stop him, really. So Jacob, now again, this is one of the strangest, I don't think I've said this yet, these next few verses are one of the strangest passages in the Bible. Strange, strange, strange. So I'm going to read through them and then I'm going to talk about them. Jacob took him rods of green poplar and of the hazel and chestnut tree and pilled white streaks in them and made the white appear that was in the rods. And he set the rods which he had pilled before the flock in the gutters and the watering troughs when the flocks came to drink, that they should conceive when they came to drink. And the flocks conceived before the rods and brought forth cattle ring-straked, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob did separate the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the ring-straked and all the brown in the flock of Laban. And he put his own flocks by themselves and put them not unto Laban's cattle." And it came to pass, whensoever the stronger cattle did conceive, that Jacob laid the rods before, excuse me, the eyes of the cattle in the gutters, that they might conceive among the rods. But when the cattle were feeble, he put them not in. So the feebler were Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Now let me tell you what, what this is. Jacob takes some sticks and he cuts them. So they've got stripes on them and spots on them. And then he puts them in the watering trough because he thinks that if the sheep uh, conceive, 
when they're looking at striped sticks, that they will be striped sheep. And so it says that Jacob, when the strong ones come, he puts them there. And when the weak ones come to mate, he pulls them out. So they'll be Laban's. Now, when you read uh, a little further, uh, you know, we're not going to get to it. But in chapter 31, Jacob says, you know, God told me in a dream that he's going to give me the speckled and the spotted and the different things. So God said, I'm going to do it. And Jacob said, well, let me help. You've got Laban, the one who found out by divination that Jacob was helping him. You've got Jacob, the one who decides that he's going to use magic to try to force them to conceive. And now some people, again, look about this, and some people read this passage and say, look, the Bible thinks that if you have sheep mate in front of something striped, that the sheep will be striped. That's exactly the opposite of what's going on here. What's going on here is that the Bible is showing you what a fool Jacob is making of himself by trying to take everything into his own hands. And I'll make a little application here. Sometimes when you try to take care of something yourself and you think, well, I'm going to work on this, God looks at you like you're out there cutting sticks. You think, well, this is going to help. You're not doing anything that's going to have any effect on anything, but you sure think you are. And so Jacob comes in, and he has the sheep mate and the goats mate, and then behold, he's getting more and more of the strong ones, and Laban's getting the weaker ones. And of course, you know, it's because God did it, not because of anything that had to do with what Jacob was doing. And if you read the next chapter, you'll see that spelled out. And here's my question. How can God bless this mess? How can God take the man with four wives who has to call God his father's God, who thinks that he's going to cut sticks to make animals be born a different way? How does God take that man and bless him? And if there's one thing that I hope this story shows you, It's that you are not in a situation that is too messed up for God to use. Because I, you know, some of you think you've got a dysfunctional family. I assure you, your family's not this dysfunctional, right? I hope. (laughs) I hope none of you are raised with four, you know, four wives and one of them was a trick and everything else. I hope that didn't happen. If God can use this, God can use anybody. God can use anything. So how does God do it? Well, it's because what we read in chapter 31 that God says, I'm going to do it, is that it never depended on Jacob. If God's master plan had depended on Jacob, it would have crashed against the rocks already. Never would have made it this far. But God's plan to use Jacob was in spite of Jacob. God's plan to use Jacob was not based on what Jacob did or what Jacob didn't do. God's plan to use Jacob was just based on God. Now, a couple principles here. One big principle. Just because something works does not mean that it's right. How many times have you heard somebody say, well, I did this and I wasn't really sure, but it's like God just opened up the door and everything started working out. It must have been the right decision. 
whack them on the back of the head. Just because something works doesn't mean it's right. Sometimes things are not blessed because of you, but in spite of you. Sometimes things work not because it was a good idea, but in spite of the fact that it was an awful idea. God in his grace says, okay, I'm going to do this on my own. Now, the flip side of that is that just because something doesn't seem to be working right now in your timetable does not mean that it wasn't the right decision. You cannot be a utilitarian. That means if it works, it's good. If it doesn't work, it's bad. Because you're going to be changing all the time. You're not going to have any consistency. You know, and some people live their lives that way. Some people say, well, this just isn't working out. I'm going to try something else. This just isn't working out. I'm going to try something else. This is working out. So even though it seems like a bad idea, I'm going to stick with it. You can't live that way. Because life is not instant. You know, if you've got a farmer and you go or, you know, maybe some of you have got a little garden. You take a tomato seed, plant some tomato seeds. And you wait a day. You say, well, nothing's growing. I'm starting to get kind of nervous. You wait another day. You just say, oh, it's driving me crazy. A week later, you dig it up to make sure there's something there. You say, oh, look, it's working, and you plant it back. That's not. If you're always checking for results, if you're results-driven, then you'll kill it. That's true in plants. That's true in tomato plants. That's true in your life. You say, well, this is not working right now, so I better reevaluate this. Sometimes you say, I've got to be patient. It's the right thing because it's the right thing, and because it's the right thing, it'll work out later. Sometimes you've got to say, you know what? This really seems to be working, but this is the wrong thing. We're such slow learners that we, something has to blow up in our face before we start to wonder, hmm, I wonder if that was a bad idea. And we see this story so clearly. <laughs> Jacob was wrong, but it still worked. But as we go a little farther in the story of Jacob, you're going to see that getting things to work the wrong way was going to cost him dearly. It already cost his mother dearly. His mother, you remember, had the plan to fool Isaac. And it worked. Jacob got the blessing. But Rebekah never saw her son again. You can't go based on the standard if it works. If it feels good, do it. If it works, keep on. Gotta say, there's gotta be a highest standard. So how is it that God blessed this mess? Because it was never about success, was never about Jacob. Success was about Jacob's great, 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 great grandson, Jesus, who was not a descendant of Rachel, who he loved, but Leah, who he hated. It was not, you know, in the line of beauty and success like that, but was in the line of rejection. You think Leah was rejected, Jesus was crucified. You think Leah was unloved, Jesus was cast away from his people and hung on a cross, and his own brothers denied who he was until after he rose again. Jesus is the sum total of rejection. Jesus is the sum total of how God redeems a mess. You know, you've heard the little cliches, God turns your mess into a message, your test into a testimony. God says, I will take the ruins of what you have. I will take the disaster that you have carefully put together, and I'll turn it around. 
same way that God later came, wrestled David to the ground and changed him, God says, I'm ready to change you through Jesus. So Jesus said, receive, never lie. No deception found in his mouth. Jesus was rejected, despised, and rejected before. And he died for you. If you've been living a Jacob life, a life of rebellion and sin where God is everything to you except your God, where you do everything on the base so that it seems like it's working okay, then God's ready to forgive you now. To say, Lord, I believe that you died for me. I turn from my sin. 